All right, Freedom House. Awesome. How are you guys doing today? Man, it is turning into fall here in North Carolina, but don't worry, it's going to be 80 by the afternoon. That's how it's going to go. If, it, if you are new to the Charlotte area, we can hit all four seasons in the exact same day. So just, if you don't like one, you just wait around for a little while and it's going to change. That's how it goes. So I've been here my entire life and I'm still getting used to it myself. So my name is Adam and I hail from the Central Campus. So if I, Pastor Adam, thank you, Mendez, for uh, for correcting me on that. I was going to get to that, but it's okay. Um, so my name, yeah, like I said, my name is Adam. Adam and I'm from the Central Campus, so if I don't look familiar to you, that's fine. It's me, it's not you, okay? And I get to be down here hanging out with you guys today, and I'm so honored to be down here and uh, just getting to start off this brand new series, which we'll get into in just a second. A little bit about me. My wife and I have been at Freedom House for 12 years, going on 12 years now, and uh, we actually just celebrated eight years of marriage this past week, so... You know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. And uh, so, and uh, I'm just, we've been at Freedom House for, uh, for that 12 years, and it's been such an amazing experience, an amazing journey for us. And we're so thankful for Freedom House Church. And the reason that I'm even able to be up here speaking with you guys today is because at Freedom House, we do something a little bit different. If you've been around for a while, you know that we have a teaching team, meaning that we have a live communicator at every single one of our locations every single weekend. And this is due to our senior pastors, Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell. They are such phenomenal leaders. Can we give it up for them really fast? That is their vision. And that is, uh, that is their brainchild to do the, uh, the teaching team. And then your campus pastors are amazing. They are down uh, having an amazing time on vacation. They are getting some well-deserved uh, relaxation, taking a little bit of break, which means that we get the honor of being led by the Mendezes today. Come on, give it up for the Mendezes. Is it, is it Mendezes or Mendez I? Mendezes? The Mendez. See, I knew, uh, I knew Anthony, which is weird to call him Anthony because I know him as Mendez. And when I actually first started coming to the church, one of my first serves was with Vertical. And uh, I was shadowing Mendez, and we broke a ping pong table together. Do you remember that? I got I to gotta mention every time I'm down here. I got to make sure that it stays fresh. So um, as Anthony uh, so, so helpfully reminded me, my wife and I are the youth and young adult pastors now at Freedom House Church. And we are so honored. Thank you, thank you. We, we are so honored for what we get to do and the calling that God has on our life. And so with that, we see everybody from seventh grade all the way up to 29 years old. So just a small bit of gap there of age. Um, so if you have anybody that's in uh, seventh to 12th grade, make sure you get them out to vertical Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30. We're going to be having our carnival theme night tonight up at our central camp. It's going to be a lot of fun, going to be a lot of fun. So people might be going in a dunk tank. Uh, I might be one of them, and we are going to have fried Oreos. Come on, man. Fried Oreos. If that doesn't scream the South, I don't know what does. So it's going to be great. You can just about deep fry anything, and I will eat it. So it's going to be a great time. And then our young adults, uh, everybody that is after high school up to 29. So we have some amazing young adult life group leaders. So if you're not in a life group, join one of those. We're actually sending our young adults on a mission trip here in a couple of weeks out to L.A. So excited for that. Lots of cool stuff that's happening at Freedom House Church. And so I, I'm so honored and privileged to be up here speaking with you guys today. I love getting to come down to Southend because it really feels like one big life group. Um, it it kind of feels like we're sitting in a Bible study when we're down here. And so I, I appreciate that. One of the things about Freedom House is that every single campus that you go to is very unique in that it has its own vibe, but it's also distinctly Freedom House. So this is the vibe that I feel of South End is that it's that one big life group. So thank y'all for showing up today, and we're going to jump into our message, and we are kicking off a brand new series today, as you saw, called Dark versus Light. 
dark. I know, it's ooh, real spooky, <laughs> spooky. So, uh, and uh, kicking off this series, if you, if you turn on the news for any more than five minutes, you realize that our world is pretty dark. There's a lot of darkness that is going on in the world today. And ever since the beginning, ever since the fall of man, this darkness has been around. It has been present. And it's this darkness that pulls us in and entices us. It draws us in promising satisfaction and yet delivering disappointment. Draws us in and delivers disappointment every single time. And it's this sin, this failure to heed God's word. And this is an ever-present choice in our lives, an ever-present choice to follow in the darkness. And that choice to follow the darkness is what separates us from God. And this separation separates us from his blessing and ultimately his purpose and calling in our lives. And we understand as Christians, as believers in God, that when we look out in the world and we see the darkness that seems to be encroaching, that seems to be all around us, we know that there's actually no such thing as darkness. If you think about darkness, I I remember going to Mammoth Cave up in Kentucky when I was a kid. And we go into this cave and we go down into this cavern and it's this massive room, probably, you know, three times the size of this room. We're sitting in there and the guides say, all right, everybody sit down. We're going to turn off the lights. Now we're deep underground and when they flick those lights off, man, the darkness was palpable. Like you could feel the darkness all around you until a couple rows back, one of the kids that was sitting back there clicks on his flashlight. And in an instant, all of that darkness in the room is completely gone. From one simple flashlight lit up the entire room. And that is what is going on in our world today. We look around and we see the darkness. We see all of the things that are going on in our world. And it's really just an absence of God. Not to say that God isn't present because God is everywhere, but God has not been invited in to those situations. And so we understand as Christians that when we invite God in, the light that he brings can cast out any darkness. And so that's kind of the purpose and the point of the message series that we're going in today is that the light that we carry on the inside of us, the light that comes from God is greater than any darkness. Can I get an amen today? And when I was thinking about this series, the verse that jumped out at me was Ephesians 5 verses 8. And it says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What this verse is telling us is that at one time we were darkness. We lived our lives in sin and on our own desires, not following after the things of God, but doing things our way, living according to our pleasure and our plans. But those of us that have chosen to follow after Jesus have stepped into the light. We have thrown off the darkness through the grace of Jesus Christ and are walking in new lives as children of the light. We are called to walk as children of the light, but so why do we find it so difficult to do that sometimes? We understand the things that we're supposed to do. We understand the calling and the things that God is calling us to do, and yet we still choose to fall back into the darkness. See, each one of you has a choice to make to follow after God and the plans he has in your lives. This is not just a one-time decision to become a Christian, but it is a daily choice to put God first in your life, to put his will above your own and to join him in the work that he is doing on this earth. 
I love that. I love the video that we just watched about baptisms, getting to see people right over here make that declaration to follow after Jesus, that outward expression of an inward change that is going on in their lives. And while that is such an amazing decision, an amazing decision that we are all got to celebrate together, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's the choice that we make to say from here on out, I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to put away my own desires, the things that I want to do on my own, and I'm going to choose to run after God and choose to run after the light. And we got to celebrate that last week. Did you know that God has a calling on your life, that you were not put on this earth by accident? No matter who you are in this place, no matter where you come from, no matter how you got here, no matter how far away from God you feel, no matter how bad you think you messed up, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. No one is put on this earth by accident. I've heard it said this way that no one can sneak onto this planet. No one snuck in here. No one got here without God knowing about it. God knows that you are here, and if you're sitting in this place today, if you are drawing breath, you are made in the image of God, and God has a call and a purpose and a plan for your life. And this is what I want to talk about today. How do we walk in the purpose and the calling in God's, that God has for us today? So the title of this message, if I could title it, is How Do We Respond When God Calls? How do we respond when God calls? And I want to look today in the story in the book of Jonah, and specifically I want to talk about three different responses that people had when God shows up. Three different responses people had to the call of God on their life. But first, a little bit of context about the story. So if you have your Bible, if you have your phones, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to be basically sitting in there for the entirety of the message But a little bit of the backstory, the book of Jonah was written about 800 years before Christ. The author may not be explicitly mentioned in the book, but it's safe to assume that it's Jonah based on the firsthand account. I mean, there's some things that go on in Jonah, if you know the story, that only Jonah would know about. So we understand that it would be uh, written by Jonah himself. And the question about this book, that is, uh, it's it's a prophetic book, it's sitting as a minor prophet, The question that comes about uh, with Jonah is, is it historical or is it metaphorical? And that's kind of the big question that comes about, right? Is this a real story? Was this a real guy or is this just another big fish story, right? And the answer to that is yes, it is both. It is both historical and metaphorical. We see that it is historical in that Jonah was a real person. He was referenced in 2 Kings, which gives us the time period in which it was written. And then Jesus himself references back to the prophet Jonah. So if Jesus says it, I'm going to believe it, all right? Jesus recognized that Jonah was a real person. I'm going to believe it. So Jonah is a historical book, and it's also metaphorical in that when read canonically, when read in the order that the Bible is put together, we see Jonah as a metaphor for Christ. We see Jonah as the, the precursor, the one who didn't quite get it right, but set up as an example for what Jesus was going to do. And this is what Jesus talks about when he references him in Matthew chapter 12. He's saying, if you look back to the story of Jonah, because remember, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish people, so they would have recognized and understood the story. He's looking back and he's saying, hey, remember the story of Jonah? Remember what happened to him? The same thing's going to happen to me, the son of man. He's saying, I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be dead for three days, but... After those three days, I'm coming back to life. I'm coming back to life. So he's saying this is good news. And so we recognize the story of Jonah as both historical and metaphorical. And so there's a lot of things that we can learn from this story. So we're going to jump right into it. We're going to pull some of those things out today. So jumping into Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which is one of the more difficult cities to name in this story. He flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. There it is again. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you try to say that three times fast, you're not going to make it work. But there it is. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. So the first thing that we see from the story of Jonah is that he is a prophet. He is the mouthpiece, the spokesperson of God, the one who God used to go and to preach the word to wherever he was called. And we see that Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of a place called Assyria, and this was a city known for its violence. And if you know anything about the the history of the Bible, that Nineveh is actually in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. If you've followed history for the last 20 years, you know that is a rough place. I mean, we had our servicemen and women that were in there fighting for the liberation of that city. ISIS took it back over. There's been a lot of chaos and turmoil and craziness that's going on in that city today. And it was the same in Jonah's time as well. So this city that he was called to go to was a horrible city. And the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And they were known for their violence and oppression of the Israelites. We see that God even calls out their evil when he says to Jonah to go and preach against them because their evil has come to my attention. But isn't Jonah's response interesting? He is the prophet. He is the mouthpiece, the one who is supposed to go and deliver the message that God has called him to preach. And what does he do? He gets up and he flees. And while we don't know the exact location of this city, Tarshish, we know that it was a Phoenician city that was a port city. Most people believe that it was actually in modern-day Spain. So if you understand geography, Jonah is called to go into Iraq, which is a landlocked country in the Middle East, and yet he decides to get up and go run off to Spain. He runs in the complete opposite direction. But the question that I always have when I read this story is, why Tarshish? I mean, if he was going to disobey God, if he was going to not do what God had called him to do, why wouldn't he just stay where he was? Why wouldn't he just stay in his hometown and just choose to be like, you know what, God, I don't hear you. I don't know what you're calling me to do. I'm just, I'm not going to listen. Why did he have to flee to Tarshish? I mean, this seems like a pretty crazy overreaction. I mean, he's the prophet of God. He would understand that God is omnipotent, that God is everywhere. There's no place that we can be on this earth that God is not. So why in the world would Jonah try to flee from the presence of an omnipotent God? Why would he do that? That just seems so crazy. And while it may seem like an overreaction by Jonah, how often do we find ourselves doing the same thing? How often do we find ourselves fleeing from the presence of God? And I think that what Jonah was doing is a physical example of what happens in our own lives. I mean, we've all done it, right? We've been walking in the store. uh, We've been going down the aisle. And we just get that thing in our spirit where it's like, hey, go pray for that person. Hey, just go ask them if there's something that you can pray with them about. And you're like, I'm just trying to get some bread, God. I don't know what you're talking about. And do we just keep going? It's like, I didn't hear it. You know, maybe it was just me. It's something in my own head. I don't know what's going on. And I mean, if if I go pray for this person, I mean, we're sitting in the Harris Teeter. What are they going to think, right? Let's just save that for church. 
And then, you know, God, I just, they're, they're going to think weird of me. I mean, like, it's going to come across weird. And instead of going down the bread aisle, we take a turn and we go down the ice cream aisle, which we wanted to go down anyways. But we find ourselves running from the thing that God has called us to do, something so simple, something so small. The thing that God asks us to do, we flee from it. And it's these small things, guys. It's the small things that God calls us to do that sometimes seem to be so difficult. When we look at this story, we're like, man, Jonah, come on, dude. Like, you should get it together, man. You're the prophet of God. You should do what God has called you to do. And yet, we can't seem to do the small things either. Freedom House, we should, be, we, we should ask ourselves, how do we respond when God calls? Maybe you've had that feeling that there's something that you're supposed to do. God has put this burden on your heart, you kind of feel that in your spirit that God is calling you to do something, and yet we don't even find ourselves praying about it because we're afraid of what the answer is going to be. We think we know that God is asking us to do something, but we're uncomfortable, we're scared, we're nervous, or maybe there's something else going on the inside of us. We feel insecure, we feel like we're not worthy, we feel like we're not able to do the thing that God has asked us to do. What if we fail, and what if they think this way? What if I don't have enough money? What if it doesn't work out? We have all of these things inside of us we don't even seek God's face. We run and flee from the presence of the Lord. And I think that this, again, is a physical example of what we're doing in our own lives. And I think plenty of us in here know the right answer of what God is calling us to do, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. And yet we don't seek after God. And in essence, we too are running from the presence of the Lord. And a critical takeaway from this first part of the story of Jonah is that there is no middle ground with God. There's no middle ground with God. You cannot do things halfway. When God calls us to do something, we are either running with God or we are running away from God. There is no sitting on the fence. There is no yes and with God. We see this in Revelations chapter 3, verse 16. It says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What Jesus is telling us in Revelation is saying that, hey, I wish that you were on fire. I wish that you were a cool, refreshing drink of water. And so because you are neither, because you are just lukewarm, because you are laissez-faire, because you are not picking up the mantle and running with the thing that I have called you to do, because of that, you are repulsive. And I know that is difficult in strong language, but what Jesus is calling out is he's calling out those that are in Christian in name only. They claim to be a Christian, yet we don't respond when God asks us to do something. We don't respond to the call that God has for us, and yet we say that we're a Christian, but we don't do what he has asked us to do. And so if we are not going to do the things that God has called us to do, if we're not going to do the right things, if we're going to kind of say that we're a Christian, we're going to check the box and come on a Sunday morning, we're going to, you know, sing the songs, raise our hands when we want to, but as soon as we leave these four walls, we're not carrying the presence of God with us, we're not doing the things that God has called us to do, are we really representing him to the people that need to hear him? Are we really representing Christ to the people that are lost, that are still in the darkness? Are we carrying the light with us when we go out of church today? So Freedom House, there is no middle ground with God. When he calls us to do something, there is only two answers. There's either yes or there's no. So how will you respond to God's call? Maybe he is calling you to start a business. Maybe he is calling you into full-time ministry. Maybe he is simply calling you to begin serving at the church. And while I may not know the exact thing that God is calling you to do today, I know that he is calling us to step outside of ourselves 
and join him in his plans. We're going to join him in his plans. So how do we respond when God calls? Some of you in here may know a little bit of my story, but as I said, we've been at church at Freedom House for 12 years, and I've been on staff for going on six, and uh, I, I never thought that I was going to be up here. If you had asked me six years ago if I'd be standing up here on this platform preaching, I would have told you absolutely not. I don't like speaking in front of people. That is not the plan that I have for my life. I know exactly what I want to do, and ever since middle school, I had a plan. I was going to go to college at UNC Charlotte. I was going to study fire safety engineering. I was going to become a firefighter. I would do that for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. I would retire, and then one day, I'd die. Like, that was the plan, right? I had it all laid out, and that's the plan of a middle school. It's like, after retirement, you just die. Like, that's all that there is. And I know that there's some people in here that are happily living in retirement, and thankfully, that's not the case. But that's what I thought. That was my plan. Until one day, I was sitting in church, and I'd had the opportunity to uh, begin to work at Freedom House for what I thought was going to be a temporary time. And I was sitting in the back of our auditorium at the central campus, and it was during our church-wide fast at the beginning of the year. And I was praying and asking God. I had been fasting the, I think we were doing three weeks at that time. Not food, by the way. I wasn't fasting food for three weeks. Um, but I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium, and I've been praying. I've been seeking after God and asking him what he wanted in my life, which direction he wanted me to go. And I remember as clear as day, he didn't speak audibly per se, but it was the most clear he's ever spoken to me that he was calling me to full-time ministry. And in that moment, I chose to give up the plan that I had for my life and choose to follow after God. And thankfully, I serve a God and we serve a God that knows us better than we know ourselves because I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the next steps were. And if he had given me the entire plan and said, hey, here's what you're going to be doing 30 years from now, my personality would say, cool, God, I'll see you when we get there. I'm the type of person that wants to take matters into my own hands and do things on my own, but God knows me better than I know myself. And so instead of giving me the entire plan, instead of laying it all out before me, he tells me, hey, just trust me. Trust me with just a simple yes, and then I'll show you the next steps. And some of us in here just need to say yes to that first step. If you're, if you're just trapped, if you're struggling with knowing what the call that God has for you, maybe you don't need to know the entire plan. Maybe you just need to say yes. Maybe it's just that simple yes to God saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to put my plans in your hand. I'm going to forego the things that I thought were best for my life, and I'm going to trust you if, with my life. Some of you in here today, maybe that is what God is calling you today. But Freedom House, how do we respond when God calls? Moving on in the story of Jonah. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. We pick back up in verse 4, and it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest or storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the, light, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Again here, notice the similarities between the story of Jesus and the story of Jonah. We see in the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is fast asleep in the bow of the boat. There's a storm raging all around. And his disciples come running up to him, Jesus, do you not care that we're about to perish? And Jesus gets up, calm, cool, and collected, and says, peace, be still. 
And in the same way that Jesus gets up and he quiets the storm, the disciples go running to Jesus when they're afraid for their lives, when they're terrified. The sailors that are traveling with Jonah are afraid for their lives. And now, when you think about this story, you've got to recognize that the men in the boats, whether the sailors or the disciples, like, these are hard men. Like, they've been on the ocean. They've seen some storms. They've got the I Heart Mom tattoo on their shoulder. They drink their coffee black, right? Like, these are some tough Men, and yet we see in these stories that they're terrified. But what's interesting to draw out of both of these parallels is that in the moments where they think that their lives are about to end, when the storms are raging all around, they run to the one person in the boat that can save them. In Freedom House, I want you to realize that as Christians, whether people realize it or not, there is something different about us. That when we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we become the ones that people run to in times of crisis. That when things are going wrong in this world, when the darkness seems to be encroaching, when everything seems to be going wrong in our lives, the people in our lives run to us instinctively because there's something different about us. Now, they may not even recognize it, right? The sailors at this time didn't recognize what was going on and who Jonah was. The disciples still didn't have a full understanding of who Jesus was, and yet they ran to the one person that they could bring about their salvation. And we see this happen in our own lives. I remember a story back when I was going through basic training in the Army that I had met a guy named Rios. And he, him and I became close friends, and this guy was wild. I mean, he had a, lived a crazy life. He was covered in tattoos. He lived in California. At one point, he lived in Las Vegas. And I mean, I mean he, just, he was just about as far away from a Christian as you could be, right? We all know people like that. And at one point in the cycle, so we ended up rooming together, basically. So he was the bunk that was right across from me. And later on in our cycle, he comes up and he's like, hey, man, you know, I chose the bunk next to you on purpose, right? I was like, no, like, why would you do that? He's like, man, I could just tell when I first met, like, you had really good vibes, man, and, like, I just wanted to be around that, and I knew that there was something uh, that I wanted to be around, that you had a really positive vibe. I was like, all right, that's kind of weird. That's like, that's a California talking, right? Like, you got good vibes, but what was happening is that he didn't recognize that there was something different about me. He, he couldn't put his finger on it, right? And we understand that that's the Holy Spirit, that when we're out in the darkness, that when we're, surrounding, when we're surrounded by people that don't know Christ, there should be something different about us. They won't even be able to put their finger on it. They won't be able to call out exactly what it is. It'll just be good vibes, right? That may be the only way that they're able to articulate it, but they'll recognize that there's something different on the inside of us, that the fruits of the Spirit that come from a close relationship with Christ, those things that just come out of us innately, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all of the fruits of the Spirit that are on our lives, people need, guys. People need those things. They're drawn to them naturally. And what I want you to realize is that the call that God has on our lives is not just for you. It's for other people also. And this is why it's so important for us to say yes when God calls us because God's purpose and calling on our lives will always be kingdom-minded and people-focused. It will always be kingdom-minded and people-focused. So this is why it is so important that when God shows up, when God calls us to do something, whether it's big or whether it's small, it's so important for us to say yes. Moving on in the story, we pick back up when the sea is raging all around. And they said to one another, the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, on, 
Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What are your people? They're giving him the third degree. And he says to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is it you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea had grown more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. It kept getting crazier and crazier. The storm kept blowing. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his innocent blood, lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. See, the sailors began to recognize the authority of the Lord and they cried out to him, for salvation. They throw Jonah into the sea, and the wind and the waves calm down. But what's so interesting about this particular passage is notice the initial response of the sailors. They've just been told what they need to do. They're crying out for salvation. They're in, afraid for their lives, and they ask Jonah what they need to do, and he tells them exactly what they're supposed to do, and yet they still try and take matters into their own hands. They still try to row back to shore on their own. They still try to bring about their own salvation. They still try to do things their way. And Freedom House, this is how we respond sometimes. How many times in our own lives do we do that exact same thing? That when we're told to do something by God or we're giving an answer for something that we're seeking, we still want to do things our way. And so my question to you today, is there an area of your life that you have yet to give over to God? Is there an area of your life that you're still trying to do things your way? And I believe that today God is calling us to give up the perception of control and to put our trust in him. And now this is a part where I'm preaching to myself mainly because while I'm not a control freak per se, I definitely have control freak tendencies. Like I like to do things my way. I like to do things on my own. I like to be the one in control. Like if we're going to go to lunch after this, I'm going to drive because I like being in control right? That's why I'm not a huge fan of flying. Mainly, I don't like being in a giant tin plane. It's not tin, but a giant metal tube hurtling through the air at five, 600 miles an hour and not in control. I mean, come on, right? And I got asked this past week, I guess there's something going around on, on TikTok where you get asked whether you think about the Roman Empire every day. I guess that's a thing. I don't think about the Roman Empire, but I do think that I could land a plane if something was going wrong. I guess that's the second question. If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to somebody who looks like me that's a little bit younger, all right? Ask anybody on the front row. They'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> so while I don't think about the Roman Empire every day, I do think that I could land a plane. But what I'm saying is that I have things in my life that I want to take control of, things that I think that I can do better than God can. And this is something that it, we all need to work on. And it may not be a one-time thing saying, God, take control of everything. I give everything over to you. It's going to be bit by bit, there may be those small things, those things that we're still holding on to that God is still asking us, hey, just trust me. Just give me that thing. Give me that plan. Give me that business. Give me your kids. Give me this thing that you're holding on to that you think you can do it so well. But trust me, God can do it so much better. 
So we see that Jonah is thrown into the sea, and immediately the wind and the waves calm down. I always think about the VeggieTales story, if you've ever seen that, where Jonah gets thrown in, and immediately, whoosh, everything's quiet. The clouds part. It's a blue sky, and Jonah's just kind of bobbing there in the ocean. I mean, it's kind of awkward, right? Like, you're sitting there, the guys on the boat are just looking at you like, bro, you're the problem, uh, but now everything's fine. Do we bring you back in the boat, or do we let you sit there, right? Like, it's a weird situation, because the fact of the matter is that everyone thinks Jonah's about to die, okay? Jonah gets thrown overboard, fully expecting to die. The people on the boat, the sailors, they throw Jonah overboard, and as we see their prayer to God, they're like, God, don't hold us account for this man's life. Whoop, there he goes. Everyone thinks that Jonah is about to die until God shows up. Verse 17, God shows up, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And this is really the crux of the story, right? This is the, the pivot, the whole point of the story, the miraculous event. And the reason that this is so impactful and is so important is because of the one word in here that the Lord appointed. The NIV translation says that the Lord provided. And the reason I bring about both of those translations is because I believe that it gives us a holistic picture of what's really going on. See, when the Lord appointed a great fish, it shows us that God is in control. God is over all of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, that he is the ultimate authority and that this miracle did not happen by accident. But then I love the NIV translation that says that the Lord provided. See, because the fish I always thought was punishment right? It seems like it. And while I don't think that it was a walk in the park being in the belly of a fish for three days, um, the fish is actually what saved Jonah. And the Lord provided the fish. And what's amazing about this is that Jonah is in active rebellion against God. He is actively running and fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He is running away from the call that God has on his life. And yet God saw fit to provide for his salvation. God saw fit that while we were in the midst of running away from him, while we were in the midst of rebelling against him, he saw fit to provide for our salvation. Aren't you thankful that we serve a merciful God? We serve a God of second and third and fourth chances, a God that does not treat us accordingly to how we treat him. And I'm so thankful for that today, that we serve a merciful God. So moving on, we see that Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, which gives him a lot of time to think, right? And if you read through chapter two in the book of Jonah, you'll see that he is crying out to God, that he is asking God for forgiveness. He's asking for his salvation, and God hears him. But Jonah responds at the end of that chapter, chapter two, verse nine. He says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I believe this verse at the end is the end of his prayer to God saying that, God, the thing that you have called me to do, the thing that you have asked me to do, the thing that I have vowed, I will pay. I will be your prophet. I will be your spokesperson. I will do the things that you have called me to do. And God calls the fish to spit Jonah out on dry ground. And at the beginning of Jonah chapter 3, Jonah gets a second chance. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We serve a God of second chances. We serve a God 
of second chances. And Jonah's response the second time that God calls him is one of obedience. And I love to the phrase that Pastor Troy has. He says that you can never fail a test with God. He always gives you a chance to retake it. So we never fail that test. We serve a God of second chances. He will always give us that chance to retake. And I think that sometimes we get so bent out of shape when we disobey God, whether it's a sin or a failing to do something that he has called us to do, we get bound up in the guilt of disobedience. And while I think that it is important for us to recognize that our disobedience displeases God, he doesn't want us to sit in that. He wants us to come to him when we mess up and ask for his forgiveness. And as the word says, he is faithful to forgive. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God would rather us confess our sins to him, accept his forgiveness, learn from them, and get back to the work that he has called us rather than wallowing in our own self-condemnation. See, God doesn't want us to sit in our sin. He doesn't want us to sit in our mistakes. He would rather us come to him and ask for that forgiveness. And this is exactly what Jonah does. And he then responds to the call of God. He picks back up with that second chance and does the thing that God has called him to do. Jonah chapter three, four, five, as we continue on, Jonah responds to God and he goes to the city of Nineveh. And it says that Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when they put on sackcloth, it was this simple display of remorse that they felt, the recognition that they had wronged God. And that is simply what confession is. It is the agreement with God that we have done wrong against him. And as we read through the story, even the king himself removes his clothes, puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes and responds and puts out this decree saying, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And how does God respond to the people of Nineveh? How does God respond to this evil and wicked people, these people of violence and oppression? It says that when God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Again, we see God's mercy on full display that this people of evil and wickedness, that when they turned from their ways, when they sought after God, he saved them. We serve such a magnificent and merciful God. So Freedom House, as we wrap up today, would you just stand on your feet? And I want to recap what we had just talked about because there's a lot to unpack in the story of Jonah. Throughout the story, we see that there were three different groups of people that heard the call from God. Three different people that heard what they were supposed to do and three different responses. First one is Jonah, the prophet the mouthpiece of God, the one who was supposed to respond, the one who had all the right answers. And when God shows up and tasks him to do something, he runs away. The second group of people that we see in this story are the people on the boat, the sailors that are traveling with Jonah. We see that these sailors that are on the boat, that when Jonah tells them exactly what they're supposed to do, when he says that, hey, all you need to do is throw me overboard and you'll be saved, they have their means of salvation. They still try to take matters into their own hands. They have the right answer. They've heard the call, the mouthpiece of God, the prophet has already spoken to them, 
and said, hey, here's what you have to do. They said, you know what? We're going to try and do it my way. We're going to try and take matters into my own hands. I think that I can still do this on my own. And then finally, we see the people of Nineveh. That when Jonah goes and he preaches the gospel to them, he says, hey, you've got to turn from your ways. The things that you're doing are not right. There's a better way for you. The people of Nineveh respond. What's so amazing about this is that the most least likely people in this story respond to God first. You see, they didn't need to see the wind and the waves calm down to recognize God's sovereignty. They didn't need to be swallowed by a huge fish to repent of their ways. They simply heard the call of God and turned away. They turned away from their own striving. They turned away from their sin. They turned away from the things that they were doing on their own, and they chose to follow after God. Freedom House, I believe that there's a few groups of people in here today that you may find yourself in one of those categories. Maybe you're in here today and God has placed something on your life. You know that there's a calling that God has on your life and yet you still haven't stepped into that yet. You haven't stepped into the light that God is calling you to and you haven't picked up that plan that he has for your life. Maybe maybe you're scared, maybe you're uncertain, maybe you don't feel that you're qualified, but when we trust God, when we take our plans, when we take the things that we think are right and we put them in God's hands, man, he shows up. Man, he shows up. And he shows up in such a mighty and magnificent way, ways that we never would have thought. But Freedom House, I think that there may be some people in here today that you're more like the Ninevites, that you've been doing things your own way, that you've been running, maybe maybe not quite so violent as them, but You've been living your own life. And today is the day that God is showing up and saying, hey, there's a better way for you. When we choose to step out of the darkness and we choose to walk in the light, we choose to be those children of the light, as the Bible says, God promises to meet us right where we're at. It doesn't matter what you've done, how messed up you think you are, how bad you think you are. As soon as we turn away from our sins, God promises to meet us right there. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for a couple of people today. First and foremost, if you're in here and you feel like God is calling you towards something, you feel that stirring in your spirit, you feel that God has impressed upon you a a calling, a a plan, a desire that is not of you, that you you just have this feeling inside of your chest, I would encourage you to seek after God on that. Don't try and do things on your own and don't flee from his presence because when we respond to God, he promises that the things that he has called us to do will be kingdom-minded and people-focused, that there's people on the other side of your yes that need to hear from you. So if you're in here today and that's you, I want you to put your hand on your heart because I believe that God wants to continue to speak to you today. I believe that that calling is not an accident, that the thing that God wants for you, he wants to continue to speak to you. And if you're in here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, today is your day. Today is the day to step out of the darkness and step into the light. And I believe that you may feel something on the inside of you. That's called the Holy Spirit. God is the one that draws men unto salvation. And so that feeling that you have on the inside of you is God just simply saying, hey, you don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to 
hold on to that thing anymore. You don't need to be perfect to come to me. I simply want your yes. If that's you today, would you put your hand on your heart as well? I want to pray for you, and I want us to, Freedom House, to pray this prayer together because we're going to say it out loud because you need to hear your own faith through your own mouth with your own ears. And Freedom House, if we could pray this, repeat after me, say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Today I stop running and start trusting you. Lead me out of the darkness and into your light. And God, I pray today right now, I think that there's some people in here that have been hearing your voice, God, and they've been running away from it. They've been pushing down that still small voice that shows up in the back of their head to either go pray for somebody to do this thing or to do that thing. Father, I pray that you will not be silent, that you will continue to speak to us, God, that you will continue to use us, that you will continue to call us into the good works that you have prepared in advance for us today, Father God. So I pray that the person that is in here today that feels like they've said no to you too many times, God, I pray that this week you will begin to speak to them again, God, that you will not be quiet, that they will be open and receptive to the call that you have on their lives. And it may start off with something small, but every yes is another step towards the calling that you have, God. So I thank you for that. I thank you for using us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, come on.